Welcome to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. Mainly Hannon. Here, we celebrate and honor people in recovery one conversation at a time. Let's talk. Welcome back. This is episode seven. So this episode is a little different than some of the other ones that I have uh, done, but I also think it's equally important to have a discussion around. Remember, addiction has many different faces. Just because it's legal or in our food that we buy or pushed on our television sets um, or something we feed our family and kids doesn't mean it's healthy or emotionally supportive of well-being, right? So my next guest is Melissa Rolfs. She shares her own tumultuous history with sugar and food, which led her to restricting and binging. We will hear how Melissa learned how to deal with the core issues around her broken relationship with food and sugar. Take a listen. Well, hi, Melissa. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm super excited to be here. So let's just get started. Share a little bit about your relationship with sugar and food when you were growing up? Yeah, absolutely. So I remember being a little girl, I was like eight and was hiding food and sugar and, you know, junk food in my room. Um, And looking back, it was a way that I was handling trauma and just big emotional things that as an eight-year-old girl, I didn't know how to handle. So Dr. May, I used the food and sugar to kind of soothe and numb and that carried through college and into marriage and motherhood. And then finally, when our kids were a little bit older, I'm like, something needs to change here. And that was a piece of the puzzle. There's a lot that goes into it, but that was just a little bit of my journey. So, And how did sugar and food growing up offer other things that could not for you? Well, gosh, it never judged. It never yelled at me. I didn't <laughs> right. get in trouble. I mean, it wasn't uh-huh. like my parent yelling at me. It was always accepting. It was always there. I think it was unconditional. Um, and provided a lot of stability that I didn't have. So I think it just filled a lot of those voids that I needed as a a little girl. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned this all the way into early adulthood. Um, Mm -hmm. So what did it show up as growing up beyond childhood? Gosh, I mean, I remember being in college and being stressed and overwhelmed and just, you know, eating bags of chips. And that wasn't the sugar. Then, of course, I would default to the sugar. Um, but then after college eating just lots of ice cream, I remember having a roommate and we would share groceries and like the ice cream would be gone. And I ate it all by myself in one sitting and, mm-hmm. you know, carried into motherhood and having kids. I think it really showed up, um, as a new mom, just being really overwhelmed and exhausted and not feeling like I had anything for myself. So I would sneak away when they were napping and have, have a treat because I deserved it. I needed it. It was my way to soothe. Mm-hmm. And how did that get out of control for you? What did that look like? I was angry. I was a really angry mom. Um, and I think that was when I knew something needed to change. So um, I think it just made me feel out of control. It definitely affected my moods. I didn't realize it at the time. Um, but it definitely made me ride that blood sugar roller coaster where I was just highs and lows and just very unstable. And um, just really, I didn't like how I was showing up in the world because of of what the sugar was unknowingly doing to me. And more specifically, what other things other than mood were affected by the sugar and long-term sugar intake? 
my energy levels were terrible. I remember my husband would come home from work and I would be curled up in the couch on fetal pos- in fetal position because I was just so exhausted. Um, definitely affected my energy. It affected my moods. It affected um, just overall health, um, weight, obviously, your teeth. Like there's so many facets of sugar that impacts us, even our livers. Um, you can have non-alcoholic fatty liver disease because of sugar intake. So I didn't wow. personally have that. Mm-hmm. Um I did have, I was diagnosed with prediabetes, mm-hmm. um, but that reversed when I switched my diet. But there's so many ways that sugar can just impact our overall health, including mental and emotional health. Absolutely. And we'll talk more about that. Um, how did you get to the place where you're like, oh shit, I can't keep doing this? I'm obviously feeling awful, your body feeling awful, relationships are impacted. But when motherhood happened, what dawned on you to like shift? The thought to me was, I don't want to raise my kids this way. I don't want to repeat what I came from. I don't want them to have the same relationship with food that I had. I don't want them to grow up and just thinking, oh my gosh, my mom is too tired to do anything with me. She's always angry. Like, that's not how I wanted them to remember me. That wasn't how I wanted to show up. And that's just not what I wanted life to look like. And then what did you do? Well, it's interesting. (laughs) Um, So when our daughter was two, our son was a newborn. So not getting much sleep at all because of the life situation. And our daughter had some undiagnosed food allergies and sensory processing disorder. Mm -hmm. My husband was traveling for work and I was diagnosed with um, PTSD from childhood trauma at Mm -hmm. that time. Mm -hmm. So part of my journey included meeting with a naturopath and she tested my vitamins and minerals and discovered everything was kind of not in a good place because I was living off of sugar. And so really learned about the impact of food on overall health, on mental health, on energy, on emotional health. And just that transformation that I got from working with her for probably a few months was enough to make me say, oh my gosh, I want more of this. I want to continue to feel better and go away from where I was and be over here. And so that's really what made me change. Wow. And so what are the first things that you did to make those changes? What were some of your steps? I think the first step was to really get honest and have to want to change. I mean, I could have continued in that cycle. It was really easy. Let's be honest, sugar's everywhere. It's really easy to grab. It gives you that quick boost. I mean, there's a lot of things that that, is, that are convenient about sugar. Um, so I think being willing to change and willing to put forth the effort. Um, and I think Kind of for me, I'm a big person who likes to understand why. So I started to research and I started to understand why this was having such an impact on me because I think we're only taught that food is associated with weight. We're not taught about the impact of food on mental health, emotional health, all these things. And so for me, I started this journey of learning and really understanding, wow, food is so impactful on so many areas. And that just made me crave it more. And I wanted to do more. I wanted to learn more. So I think those were probably my first steps were being willing to change and then really understanding what was going on. And I think that's across the board for addiction, period. You know, I don't care if it's sugar, or meth, or alcohol, you have to realize that you want to change. You can't change. Do you think your change was for your children initially? And, and has that always been the case or has that transformed into something different? Initially, it was for them, mm-hmm. hands down. Sure. And then I think for me, 
once I started to feel good and my belief in myself started to change, my sense of self-worth increased, I realized I was worth taking care of. I did matter. Yeah, I was a mom who was a little frazzled, but I still needed to invest in myself so that I could invest in others, including my family and the people around me. And so it started out for my children, but then it became about me. And now it's about paying it forward to others who are where I was because there's a lot of us out there that just need somebody to come alongside us. Absolutely. Absolutely. So how would you say your, your relationship with food and sugar is now? I would say it's healthy. It's the healthiest it's ever been. And by that, I mean, I'm not using sugar or food to numb or to stuff or to buffer any feelings. I'm using it to nourish my body. I've learned how to listen to and honor and respect my body when it's hungry, when it's full. I don't continue to overeat. Um, Just really being in tune with myself and what I need and acknowledging that that's important and it matters. Mm -hmm. And, And from a mood standpoint, like a lot of folks who are actually in recovery from anything, alcohol, you know, um, severe significant drugs, medications, whatever, um, go to sugar really quickly because it's super easy, like you said. Um, And they get cravings, you know, and I'm sure you experience cravings also. And do those fade? I don't know necessarily, and it might be individualized, but I don't know if cravings ever go away. They may be in less and less. Um, But for you, what was that like? I think the key with cravings is to really figure out what you're craving because I think a lot of times we will have a craving and we just associate it as being hunger and so we reach for food but we're not satisfied because maybe we're craving more people interaction maybe Mm -hmm. we're craving more alone time maybe we're craving um, just something that we're not getting in our day-to-day life but if we replace that craving with food and we're not craving food we've totally missed it. Mm And so what helps, what helped you move past some of that? Because what happens for folks, and, and you, you're, you understand this too, from an addictive standpoint, cravings could be pretty toxic and powerful, right? Absolutely. And um, sugar is no different. So different kind of foods might be able to help that, but what, what, what kind of things were helpful for you specifically? I think getting curious has been really impactful in all areas of my journey and really asking myself, what am I craving and giving myself the time and the permission to figure that out? Cause I think we live in such a fast paced society and we're go, go, go. Mm-hmm. We don't give ourselves that margin to really ask what do I really need right now. And I think if we can give ourselves that gift and ask what we need, it's so much easier to go for what we really need than what we think we're craving or we think we need in the moment. So really learning to get curious and replace judgment with curiosity because it's really easy to judge ourselves and beat ourselves up and we start the shame spiral Mm -hmm. and that doesn't serve anybody. Right, right. I was just speaking to someone who is realizing their frustration is actually becoming kind of a pressure cooker Mm -hmm. and then a craving might happen and a relapse thought might happen. Um, from your experience, what did relapse look like for you in this whole journey? You know, it was interesting because I remember I got into a place on my journey where I was feeling really good, 
I'm like, okay, I think I've got this. And I had a rough day. And so I defaulted to the pan of brownies mm-hmm. and I ate a brownie and I'm like, this tastes good, but it felt different. Like it didn't have the same effect that it used to. And so I just kept eating because I'm like, I need to get that feeling. I need to get that high. I need to feel that rush. And I couldn't feel it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on. I don't think this is working. And so I went from brownies to let's try ice cream. Maybe it's ice cream. And I just kept trying these different foods and none of it had the same effect. And so I think that was me like dipping my toe back in to be like, did this really work? Am I really still (laughs) addicted? And I think that's it. But I think it comes up from time to time. Like right now we're on summer break. My kids are home (laughs) a little bit more stressful. So I'll find myself being like, oh, kind of want some of those chocolate chips. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's knowing what the triggers are. Right. So when people are like eating to feel better, Mm -hmm. um, tell me a little bit what those triggers could be like from your perspective. It seems to be emotions or situations that we don't know how to handle sure. or maybe things we don't feel comfortable verbalizing or admitting to. Um, but once it's out, it loses its power. And so if we can just have that safe space, even if it's journaling or, you know, going on a walk and recording your thoughts just to get that out, I think is really freeing because then it's not stuck in here and we're not held hostage to it. Um, so I think it's really just about, having that space to get out what we're thinking and feeling without judgment. That judgment piece is big. (laughs) Say more about that. I think, you know, we live in a society where we're judged so often. And I think we're often judging ourselves more than anybody probably. Mm -hmm. And if we can just get rid of that and replace that with some self-compassion and some grace and curiosity, it really can change the trajectory, not only of how we see ourselves and how we show up in the world, but how we see others. Absolutely. So when you were speaking about this and your story, what came up for me is like, you're working with a lot of women right now, kind of, um, you're a nutritionist, you're a coach, you have all these, this rich experience about health. And you mentioned food is not just about weight. Right. And I think that's an automatic thought for people. If I can just eat less, I'll feel better. But that's not actually true, right? Absolutely not true. (laughs) So what is true? What's the truth about that? I think the truth is figuring out what works for you and your body type. We're all different. We're all unique. One size does not fit all, especially when it comes to nutrition and health and what we need. Um, You and I may have very similar experiences and very different backgrounds, but at the end of the day, we're still different and we have different needs. And I think the key is learning to honor your needs and what works for you and your body type. Mm -hmm. And, and people can talk to their physicians or nutritionists or someone like yourself about this. So the, the, the women, I want to talk a little bit about some of the women that you work with, um, because I'm sure some of the listeners are these women, right? And they may not necessarily be addicted to like sugar at the level and food that you are because you experience some binging and restricting all of that kind of stuff. Um, and hopefully most of these women don't have that experience, but it, but it could happen. So how would you 
talk to someone, a mom, basically, like I work with a lot of single parents Mm -hmm. who are really trying to be the best they can be. Um, Many are in recovery from substances and, um, you know, are balancing, you know, emotional kind of stuff as well. And rarely is it discussed about how to eat well. You think, okay, your vegetables, you know, and all this kind of stuff, but it's so much more sophisticated and it's complicated too. And it actually doesn't have to cost more to eat healthier either. Um, So there's a lot of, I think, misnomers or myths around food. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, You're right. There are so many misnomers about food. We think that we have to, like you said, eat less to lose weight or to feel better or that eating healthy is more expensive or my friend had success, whatever that looks like, you know, on this plan, it's going to work for me. Like that's just not the case. And there is such a big connection between food and mental and emotional health. And that's because of the gut brain connection. Mm -hmm. Um, The gut brain axis is really powerful. It's the communication between the gut the brain and the nervous system. And if the gut is considered our second brain, it's health impacts how your brain functions. So literally what you eat is impacting your brain health, which impacts so much. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and so how do you help people kind of understand that relationship and make that actually conceptually into um, an action and behavior change? My certification is in habit change, so that's really what we focus on are changing habits Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. identifying where do our beliefs about food or our bodies or health come from and really kind of deciphering those. Um, But I think, too, the other missing piece is that so many of us aren't taught how to listen to our bodies, and I think it starts in childhood. Mm -hmm. You know, you think about the babies and the parents are doing the airplane with one more bite. And the uh, child has their mouth closed. They're like, no, I'm good. And we keep trying to like stuff it in. Think about going to the bathroom. You have to ask to go to the bathroom in school. And I understand why. So it doesn't promote chaos. But like, there are so many different ways that we're taught. We need to ask for permission for things that involve our bodies and how to listen to them. And I think we don't quite learn how to do that because of that, those mm-hmm. pieces. <laughs> right. And and you're working with moms, I'm assuming as well. Mm-hmm. Right. So what are this, the key messages for, you know, parents, you know, it could be dads also, mm-hmm. you know, on food health. I mean, there's eat, healthy eating, but but there's food health too, and, and maybe I'm I, I'm not sure how the distinction works, and I'm just wondering a little bit what your thoughts are. Yeah, I think healthy is such a almost Odd. overly used term. Right, right. We like your perception of healthy might be different than mine. Mm-hmm. So I love to do the whole like what works best for you because again we're all different, and it's mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm teaching people how to tune in, how to listen to their bodies, how to figure out the foods that give them energy versus what foods take away their energy and really what foods work best so that affect their mood, their health. Um, I have a food, mood, and poop journal that I use sometimes, <laughs> and that might be TMI, but those are all like bases, the bases of health, right? Right, <laughs> right. yeah. And, and what do you think the most common themes are for, for busy parents or just busy folks um, who may not have the time 
or they're balancing so many things and they're working with you to try to find health or food health, mood health, and behavior change. Um, what are the biggest things you would say to someone who's listening? Like, I have a very different relationship with food after listening to Melissa. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I think some of the things that busy parents come up against are the time, as you mentioned. Yeah. But I like to go a little bit deeper and say, what's underneath that? Because we all have the same amount of time. And, you know, I've got two kids that are involved in activities. We're very full. But what's underneath that that initial response of I don't have enough time? Is it the belief that I'm not worth taking care of? I don't matter. My kids are more important. Something else is more important. Like what's underneath the surface? Mm-hmm. with that that belief that I don't have enough time because there's something more that I think is stopping us than time mm-hmm. and we mm-hmm. just need to figure out kind of what that is and it can be a number of things mm-hmm. and what kind of things have you seen are there any kind of correlations or trends that in your work that you see I think the biggest one is that we believe that in order to be good parents, we have to do everything for our kids and we have to put ourselves last. And I don't know where that comes from, but it is the biggest lie that I have ever heard because Mm -hmm. I tried that. Like I tried doing everything for my kids and that's when I was living off of sugar and I was exhausted and crabby and it wasn't serving anybody. But when I started to nourish myself and take care of myself and say, I'm worth taking care of, I want to set a good example that's when I was able to be the mom that I wanted to be and show up as I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So I think we need to flip that belief that taking care of ourselves is not selfish. It's actually setting a legacy and being a really good role model to our kids who are the next generation. And if they don't know how to take care of themselves, like it's this perpetual cycle that I think we keep repeating almost. Right. And I think that's important. And that is cross-sectional from any type of, um, negative behaviors, addictive patterns and behaviors. I think the biggest takeaway talking with you, which has been really helpful, is food can be addicting. Um, Like sugar. Sugar, the power and devastation of sugar. I mean, your, your story is really kind of not common. It's extreme because you started at eight years old for comfort, self-soothing from a traumatic situation. And I think that's kind of where addiction can, there's a strong correlation between trauma and addiction. I don't care if it's salt, sugar, crack, meth, opiates, um, alcohol, all of those things can start. And, And regardless of the type of addiction people have, and if they are moving towards a on the road of recovery, like you had a road of recovery, you know, there was a lot of ahas and like, oh my God, if I don't do this, I'm going to continue to be unhealthy, right? Mm-hmm. To the point where it starts impacting the next generation, your children, your relationships, how you show up at work or wherever, right? Um, that this applies for everyone who is struggling because this didn't just affect your childhood, right? This affected your entire life, mm-hmm. right? And so I think this is an important topic that you are sharing with us because without healthy, and it's and I use this word broadly, right, healthy diet, because it's not just a healthy diet, 
right? It's more of a healthy lifestyle mm-hmm. and, a, and a different kind of relationship with food. So to have a healthy relationship with food from your lens, how would you describe that? I would describe it as being in tune with your body and what your body needs in terms of nourishment and recognizing that food is important. It has a place. And so how does that fit into our life? How are we using it? Are we using it to nourish ourselves? Are we using it to fuel our bodies? Are we using it to stabilize our blood sugar and have good mood and brain health and all of these other areas of health that are impacted by what we eat? Or are we using it to numb out, to feel better, to soothe? Like what are we using the food for? I think that's really kind of what it comes down to. Right. And you mentioned earlier on to be really curious, not Mm -hmm. to judge, right? Because you were saying earlier, we do that really well. We're all very, very good at beating the hell out of ourselves, right? Mm -hmm. And punishing. Um, But to kind of see the importance of and being curious about what is this for? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Which also can translate in all other aspects of your life, right? Like addiction could be in relationships. Addiction could be into gambling. Addiction could be into exercise. Um, All of those kinds of things. Um, So I, I really do appreciate kind of the insights that you offer of about the importance of being questioning your relationship with how you eat and why it's important to understand that. Is there any other things you would add about the power of sugar? I think it's, I think food is probably really tricky because it is something that we need to live. I mean, we do need to make sure we're getting that nourishment. And I think it's also something that's more socially acceptable. Sure. I think it's almost look down upon if you were to go to a birthday party and maybe not have a piece of cake like I feel like the judgment can creep in there Mm -hmm. um but I feel like it's tricky because we need the food to survive and it is legal it's socially acceptable it's it's very common it's a need and so I think that's maybe what makes a little bit different than other addictive substances because Mm -hmm. we do need the food to live so how do we live in that balance of mm-hmm. having that healthy relationship with food because we need it, but not going so far over and being addicted and using it for other reasons than to nourish our bodies. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's being extremely mindful of these things. Um, I want to thank you very much, Melissa, for taking the time to kind of, you know, offers a very different insight and it's really refreshing mm-hmm. to talk about it. Cause I had to tell you this morning I had, coffee and then cream and then I put sugar in there because um I like it and then I'm mm-hmm. then I'm realizing I have this I get to have this podcast with you about sugar and I'm like shit <laughs> um no. and and again I went through a process of like Ugh, I can't say I I'm not addicted to sugar because there is a piece that I really like it and I think mm-hmm. that's common you know um but you obviously gave us some things to think about how to kind of explore that with um, with kind of our behaviors with it all. So I thank you very much for being here. Thank you again. Of course. Thank you have, for having me. And I just want to say there is no shame or judgment <laughs> in guilt with sugar. I think the other th- tricky thing about it is that it is 
nine times more addictive than cocaine and it's literally infused into so many food products where you wouldn't expect it. So don't, don't be hard on yourself. Don't beat yourself up. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and those are words to live by for sure, because I think it's really easy, especially those in the addictive world. Um, those are places that we often go. Thank you everyone for listening. Take care. Thank you for listening to Recovery Plus Podcast. Fuck yesterday, focus on today. I'm your host, Dr. May Lee Hennon, celebrating and honoring people in recovery one conversation at a time. This podcast is sponsored by Red Door Coaching and Consulting. You can find my podcast on Apple, Spotify, and Amazon. Thanks again for listening. Talk soon.